0: This episode is brought to you by MSW Nutrition and Lounge, a partner in the Howdy Health Network. For decades, I've struggled with various gut and autoimmune issues, which have forced me to alter my life and career. Within the last year though, after undergoing numerous blood tests, I've discovered that a majority of my health problems, they've been linked to vitamin and mineral deficiencies. Because I am now able to see what I was deficient in, I can also supplement against those deficiencies with a proper daily vitamins and minerals, as well as receive weekly IVs that are specific to my needs. This has changed the game for me. Today, not only do I feel like a completely new person, my ability to focus in life and business has increased, my athletic performance is better now than when I was a collegiate athlete, and most importantly, the relationship I have with myself as well as the people I care about most, they are all thriving, and I'd love for you to feel the same way. So no matter where you are at in your health journey, whether it is scheduling your blood work or supplementing for your health needs, the beautiful part is the community at MSW and How do you Health. they will listen to you and help you figure out the best path for you. So go to HowDoYouHealth.com and use code THRIVE15 for 15% off all products and services. What's up, my name is CJ Finley and this is the Thrive On Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive On Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's episode is an end of year conversation with one of my best friends and business partners, Noah Heisman. This is Noah's first full year in Austin, so we reflect on how he feels about the ATX, what his advice would be to anyone considering moving to a new city, how he plans to launch his new book, and how the idea for our mobile sauna business came about. As always, Noah is full of wisdom that you can apply to your own life, so I'm excited for you to hear it and take action as you go into 2022. So let's feed the flame and jump into the combo with Noah Heisman. What is up, Thrive fam? My name is CJ Finley, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast. If you are listening to this near Christmas, I think this is going to be releasing two days before Christmas, if I have my dates right, I just want to say I am very grateful for you and everybody else out in the world who is choosing to better themselves as we approach another year. And today, somebody that inspires me to do that each and every day He's one of my best friends here in Austin, Texas, and I wanted to have him on the end of this year, going into the new year, because we started a couple projects this year, and just like always, I get a lot of questions of like, oh, you're doing all these different things, and what the hell are you doing? So I'm going to put him on the spot so he could clarify a little bit about what we're doing. Please welcome to the show, once again, my buddy Noah. How are you today?
1: Thank you again, TJ, for having me on. It's always fun. It's always so strange because, uh, you know, I see you dang near every day, but there's something about the space that gets open when you're in a podcast that you just kind of cross territory that you don't normally cross in ordinary everyday conversation. So it's great to be here, fun to be here, weird to be here. As I sit here in the middle of December, about two weeks out from my one year anniversary here in this blessed town, this bastion of hope and light (laughs) that is Austin, Texas. Do we have a dictionary? (laughs) No, I loved every second of it. And I can't believe it's already been a year. I can honestly say that this year has been one of the most fulfilling I've ever lived. And you are no small part of that. The Austin community also can't thank everybody enough. And I think it's honestly worth just spending like a couple minutes talking about what it is about Austin that makes it so special. And I'm, and I'm curious, I don't know that I've ever actually heard the story, as you tell it, of the growth or changes that you witnessed in yourself when you moved here—that's a great question. But before I answer <laughs> that, you dog, what is
0: the shirt that you're wearing? What do you call that? Because for those that aren't watching on YouTube, he's making me look like trash right now. You're always <laughs> dressed so well, and it's just like it's one of the things I look up to you for. It's like I need to Aaron. If I'm with Aaron, she's got me. She can she can help me out, but. Everybody else knows me. I'm, I'm typically I'm colorblind. I'm wearing black or I'm wearing shorts, which I'm doing right here. But I need to know the name of that thing because I don't even – is that a jacket or a pullover or a turtleneck? So like,
1: I, <laughs> I I, actually – I'm like channeling my Eric uh, – Hinman. My inner Eric Hinman yeah. with this. Shout out, Eric. Love you. And I don't even know. This is like a little hybrid. So I got the V-neck underneath. It's both good life. It's like kind of a I bomber. I feel this thing. It's so comfy. It's, kind of, it's like kind of a bomber, kind of a button-up, kind of a jacket. It's like this weird hybrid. I like it. I've worn it more times than I've washed it. I'll say that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> next
0: subject. I, I feel like I do that with everything, especially like here in Austin, the amount of sweat you pour when you're in Texas. You can get away a little bit with just rocking your clothes a little bit more often than you than you wash them. Just uh, yeah, be careful. Make sure you smell them before you – Today, we were going to riff clearly, but I will dig into this question. What changes have I had to make when I came to Austin? Not not what changes you made. What changes did you like feel
1: within yourself?
0: I think the biggest thing that I felt within myself is understanding who I am and how to communicate that to the world. And I think the reason that I'm always striving to figure out more so who I am. And I think it's a never ending journey. But before I came here, I was seeking that person. And I don't mean the person that you look up to or mentors or anything like that. I mean, I was seeking the person who I thought I was meant to become. And I just never felt like anywhere else felt right. And when I got here, ultimately, it's just sitting around the people that were also asking themselves that question. And I think If I'm to dive deeper into why that happens here more than anywhere else, it's because a lot of people here don't care what job you have, industry you're in. Everyone here is just focused on how do they improve themselves and they're supportive of whatever journey it is that you choose. And that's something that I'd never really felt in any other city that I was in. It was always like peacocking is what I call it, where... If you go to a bar, it's all about what you do, who you know, things like that. But if you go here, I mean, you're going to meet people in all different types of industries, doing all different types of things, and nobody really gives a shit what, what you do or why you do it. They just care more so of your hero's journey. What journey are you on and how can they be supportive in that journey? So I don't know how you felt this year, but it's crazy for me to say that I'm going on five years in August officially will be five years and it's interesting. And then I'll flip it over to you. I know that Austin is right for me because everywhere else I felt like I had to leave. Like I felt this itch to just always leave and be on the go versus it's been five years and I don't foresee myself, barring any drastic changes, not at least having some type of residence here, not having an apartment or a house or something in the future where I can always at least spend some time here during the year.
1: I agree with everything you said. And I think for me, you hear like the ideal relationship and partnership often described in language that's something like, I'm who I want to be around you. And if you just swap out the city of Austin for like your ideal significant other, I think that's very much the way I feel here is that I think the reason I felt like I wanted to leave other places um, and the reason that keeps like, whenever I'm gone from Austin too long, why I feel the pull back is it's just because there's something about the space to just be so authentically who you are in a celebrated kind of way. Like in other places, it's not that you can't be who you are, but who you authentically are, the way that it's celebrated by the people you're surrounded with in Austin is unlike anywhere I've ever met. And I think it's related to, you know sometimes you hear this concept that the only people that are critiquing you, they're not the people that are like doing things. They're not the people that are above you, like on their own journey. The people that critique you, they're not the people in the arena. Yeah. And so many more people in Austin are on their own journey. And so like they see you on your journey. Like not, obviously there are exceptions. Yeah. But like more so than anywhere I've ever been, um, it's like everybody's just doing their own thing, trying to find their own way, make their own path, become their own hero. And so it's like, they're not worried about critiquing what you're doing. Like their energy. They don't have time. Exactly. Yeah. They don't have time. They're too busy doing their own thing, trying to create their own thing. And so it's just this really cool environment that the best way I can describe it is it's just like Austin feels like the place you come when you want to establish a relationship with who you want to become and like who you can become.
0: That's a So this is a great segue. When I came here, I didn't really know much about it. We were looking at here off of a gut feeling that I had when I, Took Erin on her first date, like in 2015. She was living in Houston. I was living in Nashville, and we took a trip here. And when we took a trip here, I just like was like, "This is a cool town." And when she applied to grad school, Austin was one of the schools on our list, mainly because again, it's a cool town, and it was in-state tuition. That's kind of like what I was looking at. I was like, "Let's go somewhere that's ranked in the top 20, in-state tuition, and it's a dope city." Like that was kind of my <laughs> thought process there. I had never done the research of what it really provided and what it actually helped me grow into. But for you, like literally this time last year, you're looking at leaving. And I mean, it's, what is it, December 14th. So you were literally figuring, how am I going to get to Austin? And then some major life decisions in your life. Like what was going through your mind last December when you're preparing to move here?
1: Yeah, that's... uh an interesting thought exercise to put myself back in that mental space. When I first came down here, it was sort of the plot and plan was to only come down here for a month to stay with a buddy from law school. But I think in my heart of hearts, kind of deep down, I think I sensed that it wasn't just going to be a month. So even though on paper, the plan was a month, I think I knew something in me knew that like, it was probably going to end up being more than that, longer than that. But before I came down, honestly, it's even hard to put myself in that mental space because at that time, it was only like three months, three or four months into when I started the gym in Minneapolis. And I remember actually the biggest kind of source of anxiety for me was I had just started this concept with my business partner, Luis, who you met like four months ago, going back to a year and we had sort of got the sauna in place and we're starting to get all these pieces in place. And then I felt the tug to Austin and it's like, well, crap. Like, <laughs> I, like I don't want to abandon Luis and like the gym, but this feels like where I need to go and like what I need to do. And so in my head, I'm like, well, okay, I'll go down there, but then I'll probably at some point still come back because I fell in love with Embrace North, the gym, the concept, the community, all that stuff. And so honestly, I was a little uncertain at last December where it was like, this feels right. It feels like I'm going somewhere I'm called to go. But at the same time, there was a lot of anxiety and uncertainty and I was still a little skeptical about what the future held for me because the last thing I wanted to do was like, I had just pulled the trigger on starting this thing, doing this thing I'd always wanted to do and then I was leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like... I I I feel like you're meant to be in Austin with that type of mindset, though. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I know. I know. But yeah, and so it was strange coming down here. But then obviously, the first thing I do is I go to Squatch, and it felt like I was back home. It felt like I was back at Embrace North. It just felt like the Texas version of what we were trying to build in Minneapolis. And so it just immediately sort of opened my mind up to this possibility of, oh, maybe there's a way to do this where it kind of opens a a gateway to – like everything can feed off of each other, where it can all grow. It doesn't have to be a this, that, in either or. It can be an and. And so once I just kind of like opened myself up to that possibility and started having conversations, then it became a super exciting thing and just opened the line of communication with Luis kind of throughout the process and was like, hey, this is where my head's at. This is what I'm thinking. And then we actually, some of the model from like Squatch, I remember when I first got down here, I remember calling him and being like, hey, they have this open gym model down here. I think we should switch our gym to that. It's more of an open gym kind of structure. And we just got to talking about kind of how Squatch was doing things and what pieces of Squatch I thought they could incorporate up there. And so it just turned into this cool thing. Like I was so worried about it when I first – before I moved down here. And then it turned out to be an amazing thing, I think, for both. Because then on the flip side also, I talked to Jason about things we're doing up at Abrace North that I thought could be done down at Squatch and like things that could change. And so there was that source of anxiety and then also there was some uncertainty with how it was going to work with my law firm up in minneapolis because at that point it was sort of uncharted waters for an associate to go work remote outside of minneapolis and so i didn't know how that was going to be received and that was a little scary again it was just uncertainty but i can honestly say through exposing myself to like Naval Ravikant and then Tim Ferriss, but, and then like writing through their concepts, it helped me get to this place with this reminder every day. I slowly like turned the tide of my mind to get around sort of the fear, the fear of going there and what that was going to mean for my job and just sort of recast it and reframed it in my head. But it was a gradual process. It didn't just happen overnight. It was like, if you're going to like dye something a certain color, you got to like constantly dip it in that thing for it to be permanent. And so it was like, I was like, that's what writing was for me is just a constantly sort of dyeing my mind with these new way of thinking that got me to wrap my head around this idea that like, you know what, this is where you feel called to go, like go and you figure it out and like worst case scenario, they fire you, which like could end up being the best thing that ever happened to you. And so I just slowly started to make my way towards that conclusion. And and it was like through, like I said, like through like Tim Ferriss and Naval Ravikant. And it actually reminds me of a story from Stoicism that was like super meaningful for me. And it's like the origins of it, actually. So Zeno of Citium is the guy who started Stoicism. And as like the legend goes, he was somebody that harvested sort of purple dye. I can't remember if I talked about this on the last podcast, but. I don't uh, think so. I haven't heard you talk about that. Okay. Uh, so there's this ancient practice back then of like purple dye was used on the royal robes, like the King's robes. It was extracted from these shellfish and it would be an excruciating process where you'd have to do like a thousand shellfish just for a gram of this purple dye, but it was lucrative. So it like made a ton of money because it was used on these royal robes. Zeno of sitium, he was engaged in this practice in this artistry of extracting this purple dye from these shellfish. And, One time, he sort of had a reserve of purple dye on a ship when he was hit with a storm and shipwrecked. And he watched as his entire fortune sank to the bottom of the sea. And he washed up to the shores close to Athens. And obviously, he was distraught, didn't know what to do. Like this thing he had spent so much time doing, his fortune was gone. It's like the equivalent of having a Bitcoin wallet and like losing the key. And it's like just like all of this money he had on a ship and it sank to the sea because of a storm. As the legend goes, Then he goes to the Oracle of Delphi and the Oracle of Delphi says her advice to him is to take on the color of dead men. He has no idea what that means. So then he like stumbles into Athens and he's like in rags and he goes into this bookseller's stall and he is lost, doesn't know what to do. And he he opens a random book and it turns out to be Xenophon's memorabilia. And Xenophon's memorabilia kind of tells the story of Socrates and sort of everything that Socrates is about it kind of goes through all these various stories about how Socrates used to hang out in the Agora, which was the market where he could buy any goods that you wanted. And he used to do that simply to remind himself how many things in the world existed that he did not need. And so it just tells all of these stories of Socrates' virtue. And at that point, he keeps reading all these stories about Socrates and he realized immediately what the Oracle of Delphi meant, which he said to take on the color of dead men. What she meant was that instead of chasing this purple dye, taking on the color of this dye, purple dye, it was to learn from these exemplars in philosophy, these virtuous people, sort of follow in their footsteps. So then he asked a bookseller, he's like, where can I find a person like this? And at that time, there was this, Crates of Thebes was a cynic, he was walking past the bookseller's stall, and the bookseller is like, um, well, where you can find a man is, uh, like, follow that guy. So then he became a student of this, Crates or crates. I'm not actually not even sure how you say his name. He became a student of him for like 10 years before starting his own. And his own was stoicism. And so it's this idea that like his most profitable venture started with a shipwreck the day he lost his fortune. And so I started thinking about it the same way of like, what if my most profitable journey starts the day I lose my fortune, starts the day I lose my comfort. And I thought about that in the context of my job And I came to believe it, to be honest, because it was like, I even knew at then I had this sense that it was taking too much of me from things I was passionate about, but I just couldn't get myself to willingly let go of. And so part of me was like kind of hoping that they would fire me. That's an interesting
0: thing because that's the easy way out. When someone makes a decision for you, it's almost easier than when you have a lot of good decisions. And it goes into really at the end of the day, worry holds your imagination prisoner. If we worry, it causes us to focus so much energy on what-if scenarios rather than using our imagination for the good side of things. And a great example for you is if you're using your imagination to say, I can become an author, I can write a book. Imagine me speaking on stage and, and inspiring other people to do the same thing that I've done where will my life be if I choose that path and if I would choose to work towards that path every single day? Rather, what happens is the worry keeps you from even thinking about that and therefore you're going to stay stagnant. And one thing that I was talking about the other day uh, with somebody was I had a pretty good analogy where imagine like Pinocchio, you're on these sticks and yarn that holds you up. Well, if you have all these things pulling you in so many different directions all these worries, what if I get fired? What if I don't have enough money? What if this happens and I won't have a home? What if my girlfriend dumps me? All these different things, you literally are forced to stay stagnant because think about it, if you're visualizing this or if you're watching me right now, when you have all these strings pulling you in their own direction in 360 degrees, you have nowhere to go versus if you start cutting away things and that's where if the job fires you, it gets cut away and then you're just like, well, now I'll figure it out. What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Noah. I hope you are loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you, though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now, you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Noah Heisman. It's funny you mentioned Tim Ferriss and Naval. Like, and your story is interesting because it's, it's highly relatable to me. And that's why I wanted to ask you that mindset that you were in prior to like jumping here, because I have done the same thing. Like when I moved from Nashville, I was working at a job, and instead of like saying, Hey, I'm leaving or I'm moving, I literally just moved and then emailed them saying, Hey, I moved to Nashville. I'm not paying double rent anymore. Yeah. I mean, I moved from Nashville to Houston. I'm not paying double rent anymore. And they weren't too pleased, but like they're just like, You could just work from there. And no one else in my program was working from home, quote unquote. Yeah. And that's kind of like what taught me, like, Wow, I worried for how many months up to that point? Like I literally was counting down a days to like, shit, I'm so scared. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And then I did it and I'm like, shit, that wasn't that bad actually. Like I wasted so much energy. What could I have been doing these past couple of months? But let's kick it into high gear here. So you've accomplished a hell of a lot in one year from the outside. You wrote a book. We started the sauna business. Your personal brand is starting to cultivate. I see you putting in the, the effort behind the scenes on on content and things like that. Network has grown, still have the gym in Minnesota. What would your advice be to somebody that might be thinking about moving somewhere different right now or even moving to Austin? And Jan 1 is only like 15 days away, but if you're listening to this, it's only well, on release date, it's only like a week away. So what would your advice be that what do you think the top couple things you did this year that allowed you to kind of step into who you were meant to become.
1: Yeah, I think first and foremost, if you're somebody that like I was and still am to this day where you just have more of a warrior's mindset in terms of whether you see a shark or a dolphin in the water when you see the same fin, I'm a shark person, you're a dolphin person. Um, And that's sort of the optimistic. I'm a whale shark person. (laughs) (laughs) Baby shark. (laughs) Sidebar. Um, Yeah. No, but especially if you're that type of person where you find fears or uncertainties or worries getting in the way, find yourself coming up with or creating reasons why it can't happen. Then I would ask you to ask yourself the question, why can't it happen? And what I mean by that is like, Create security blankets for yourself. So, like, for me, it was, I'll just go for a month, and then I can come back. So, like, create the space for you to go and experiment with Almost like a try-before-you-buy type of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, you'll hear some people advocate for the don't-have-a-plan-B. In some areas, I think that's fine, but I, I don't think it applies across the board. And people are so different in terms of where their mind is and how they think about problems and the things that hold them back from certain things. And each person brings to bear their own experiences and own trauma and just their own sticking points. And so there's not this one-size-fits-all solution for everybody. But first and foremost, instead of creating all of these reasons why you can't do it, or if you are creating reasons why you can't do it, like write them all down. Like stare them in the face. Think about if that's an actual reason or if there's a way around it, or is it something you're just creating as an excuse to be lazy? and give yourself just a time to experiment of like none of these decisions all of them can be reversed that's another tim ferris thing when i was realizing it i was like even if i were to move to austin i can go back to minneapolis my buddy connor that you had met he came down towards acl was going to do high rocks with us when he was contemplating going back to the east coast because he had wanted to be with his family the same conversation we had was like hey man Minneapolis is always going to be here. You can always come back and step back into what you're doing here. Sure enough, he went to the East Coast, spent time with his family, ended up coming back to Minneapolis. Now he's happy as a client. Love you, Connor. And so that's just like total validation of like, what are you worried about? I don't want to speak for Connor, but I know that like in his instance, specifically, I think he would regret it if you wouldn't have done it. It's trying to, to figure out ways to just experiment with it. And then I would also ask you the question of like the cost of, The status quo isn't zero.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so 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 often I think the thing that we fall into is we get resistant to change, thinking that change is the only thing that costs us something. Change is the only thing that causes deterioration. But I think it's Newton's second law of thermodynamics is entropy, which is if untended to, everything tends toward deterioration. The same thing follows for us as human beings. If we stay stagnant, we deteriorate. So staying comfortable, staying in the status quo, staying in that gravitational field of inertia where you are because of fear, it's going to eat at you. You're going to dissolve away. If it's not fulfilling, if you're not flourishing where you are, then like that's the cost of staying in the status quo. It's not nothing. That uncertainty isn't the only thing that's uncomfortable. What you should be most uncomfortable is the aggregated effect of staying where you are. But we only we don't feel it because it's it only happens sort of... It's not a f- metric you could see. Exactly. Because you're deteriorating so slowly. Exactly. And that's how you get yourself in a situation where you wake up 20, 30, 40 years down the road and you have all of these things you wish you would have done. It's because you allowed life, fears, doubts, uncertainties to take small slices of you one chunk at a time. And then you found you've given it all away at some point. And so that was the biggest thing for me was forcing myself to confront the fact that the cost of staying put wasn't zero. And that's, again, like, that's what writing was for me, is that constant reminder. Eventually, you remind yourself of that enough, and, like, you can't make excuses anymore. I mean, there are a lot of different pieces of advice I would give folks, but it's like, you only get one shot at this thing. And so, if you're not happy, if something's off, give something else a shot.
0: I like your use of experimentation. I think that we believe that the negative is set in stone, I feel like in our life, but we forget how many times we've like failed or had arguments or done certain things that we weren't proud of prior. But when we're thinking future thinking, I've caught myself in the past, and then people that I've been around like, that whatever negative occurrence would happen, say you get fired from your job. Like I've been laid off before. It wasn't a set in stone thing. Like it wasn't, I was laid off forever. It was, this certain thing happened, oh well, move on to the next thing, right? Now it could be your job, again, it could be your relationship, it could be any numerous amounts of things, but we tend to focus on that negative being set in stone versus, again, the opposite side of the positive, positive. and that's where I think experimentation allows you to see that, I think, expectation is what really hurts people. If you go in expecting, oh, I'm only here for a month, You surprise yourself and say, you know what? This is actually great. I'm going to keep staying here rather than if you would set the expectation of I'm going to move there right off the bat for a year, then it feels like you have to prove to yourself like this is the right spot because I'd already set that expectation of staying here. So the experimentation, I feel like, should take the word of expectation and that gives you the, the ability to kind of be malleable and experiment with your life rather than have all these lofty expectations. And it kind of made me think about it because like I've noticed that that fear is really predicated and stems in people that are high achievers, And the people that are on the opposite end of the spectrum that maybe it's tough for me to speak to because like I'm a high achiever, but just see life in a different light where they just naturally wake up and they feel enough. How much of feeling enough has kind of transitioned over the past couple of years for you? Because for me, that was another thing. I think back to Austin. When I got here and I'm relating this, thread back to what you were talking about earlier where you could feel like you're yourself here and the question of what changed that I feel the most and that's where here like is when I got my full tattoo sleeve like that purposely happened here in Austin Texas because before then I always knew this is who I am and this is what I want to do I want to wear no shoes shorts and a t-shirt every day and that's my that's what I want my my suit to be yet I found myself in Houston wearing a suit all day, every day, driving a Lexus that I didn't give a shit about doing a sales job that I hated? Like, why was I doing that? And I think a lot of it stemmed from I didn't feel like I was enough, so I was trying to prove to outsiders that I was enough. And once I moved here, I started realizing that no one here gives a shit and that all I have to do is prove to myself that I'm enough, which is just wake up every day and ask myself, well, let me experiment with the different modalities that I have in my life, which is new projects, new people, new ways of living, meditating in the morning versus reading versus writing versus doing all these different things, experimenting. So I love that you used that word, but where in your life did you maybe not feel enough? And that kind of caused you to fear in the first place.
1: One thing just to close a loop on, something you said at the very beginning of what you were just saying there uh, in response to my, when I was talking about advice for people leaving for the high achiever person, I also think it's, it's this idea of allowing failure back into your life because as like a high achiever is, as, as somebody that knows success and has been validated based on success and has come to define ourselves by our ability to outwork and win and sort of be at near the top of that mountain, become really easy to insulate ourselves without even knowing it from failure. And when I say failure, again, to your point, failure is never permanent. It's only ever temporary. And so when I when I use the word failure, I'm simply talking about to be humbled, to put yourself in arenas where somebody is better than you, to expose your ideas to criticism. All of those things I think fall under failure. They're not failures per se, but like for me to write something that's less than what it could be is in some in – like it gets criticized, right? Like that is a failure of sorts. And so I just – I wanted to make sure I added that piece in. But it kind of bleeds over a little bit, I guess, into the topic of enoughness. And again, for high achievers, the thing that I think we all struggle and run up against is we sort of are fed this carrot that reinforces this identity that is our ability to out-hustle, out-work, achieve, when all of these things, and then we come to think that that is the thing that gives us our worth. And so our identity is sort of built on that as lured in by people that have continued to clap for those pieces of us. Like that high-achieving thing, whether for me it was good grades or captain of the football team or touchdowns or goals or building the most hours in my firm, like it all stacks on top of each other and we sort of, at each step of the way, get our identity reinforced of like, oh, this is the thing that people are going to love me for. And then we start to th- convince ourselves that if we removed ourselves from those things, then people aren't going to love us. Like we start to think that that's the condition of what it means to be enough, that we have to do those things to be enough. And this is where on our first time I was on the podcast, I think I talked about my mindset for last year was this devotion to the Damon, D-A-I-M-O-N, that being sort of the Greek inner spirit assigned to us at birth that is representative of like your higher self that's calling to you. And so it was his idea. And I think we talked about Socrates and how he used to listen to this internal oracle. And that's how he would determine the things he would and would not do. He would listen to that voice in him, that, that daemon. And so that was my word last year. And it was a great year. And now building on that, if you were to ask me the question, who do you want to be in 2022? My answer is me, capital M Me. And because I've just become so convinced, even in writing this book, that we're all on this journey toward authenticity. Going back to what you talked about with Pinocchio, there are many different strings. It's not just fear, doubt, uncertainties, right? But it's also the beliefs of our parents, the beliefs of society, like everything that pulls us in a direction that is anywhere but us. All of these things have been attached to us as we come into the world sort of at the widest part of the hourglass, pure potential, pure potential. And just ever, the world at our fingertips, and then we're run through sort of the assembly line of society, and we come to the narrowest part of the filter where we feel like we're suffocated because we've been shaped into this being to be a productive member of society. We have to fit in this box, but then it remains our task once you realize that we've suffocated ourselves to enter back into this area of expansion, which is the lower part of the hourglass. So it's return to that childlike state and its return to authentic version of you. No strings attached. Pinocchio becoming a real boy. Like that is the journey of the human being, I believe. It's this journey back to authenticity. And the whole idea being that like you were born at birth enough. Something deemed you worthy to give you a heartbeat and a head and a body that works. So you are and forever will be enough. You were born that way. You can never lose it. But we get, the world tells us that enough is always elsewhere. And so we send ourselves away from ourselves in search of enoughness, not realizing that we had it all along. I dedicated a lot of last year to removing as many of the strings as possible, a big one being um, leaving my law firm at the end of November, which is why that step was so meaningful for me, simply because it was me proving to myself that I did truly care about this journey back to myself as much as I said I did. It was proving that with my actions. myself. And so it it went so far in developing a trust with myself again and sort of like healing my ability to trust myself and thereby my ability to trust others. And so it was hands down one of the most healing things I've ever done on this journey to authenticity. And I can honestly say that the thing that accelerated it for me was one, moving to Austin, meeting folks like you, who wouldn't allow me to be anything other than me and kind of pulled it out of me. And then also writing the book, encountering all of these various philosophers who are just like crazy admirable. And then I would steep myself in the things that they taught in their lives. And they're so inspirational. And then it was the weirdest thing because it felt like every moment I was writing the book, exactly the thing I needed at that point in my life, Like that was the philosopher I was on at that time. And it sort of all built up to this situation where the skies cleared and then I just had this sense of I knew exactly where I'm supposed to go, exactly what I'm supposed to do. That's why this next year is like, okay, my intention is to be me. And that's not, I'm not saying that, trying to say that in like the selfish way where it's totally self-centered. But the idea is that I make myself authentic, you make yourself authentic. And then all of a sudden it's like the tree that reaches with branches. Like we're all branches that reach to a unique space of the universe and if we all tried to be the same or think the same, then we never venture far from the trunk. But the more we actualize ourselves, the more different we actually get, the more unique we actually get. And that sort of paints the night sky with all of these various stars that wouldn't exist um, unless we like fully realize our unique being. And so that's just like populating the universe with our light is sort of this mission I'm on to do myself and help others do is to bring all the stars back into the night sky one thing that helps
0: me is just like how small you actually are. So we're talking about enough, right? And that always makes me think of enough for what? I'm always trying my best. I don't like the word try. Doing my best to find the root of things. It's just my nature. And when I think about enough and I think about how not feeling like enough causes a lot of pain and discomfort and fears in people, it makes me then ask the question of what is enough like in in this world like there's no tangible metric that has ever been enough every person you're talking about philosophers right you know of them but i don't know who the hell you're talking about so that person is enough to you but i don't even know who they are so were they enough that's the thing that is like you can do so much in your life and you're still gonna be forgotten about. You can be a star or you could be a speck of dust and it's almost the same. It's like the same in terms of the lifespan of our universe and how the world goes. And when I think of it like that, that's what like, maybe some people, it will make them feel depressed. But for me, it makes me feel like, wow, no matter what path I choose, that path is the right path for me because it doesn't matter at the end of the day. And I've seen that with you, This year, where a lot more of your decisions are becoming whatever path I choose is just my path, and I'll just keep going, rather where a lot of people, when we're in the scarcity or fear-based, we make the decision of, is this decision going to make it seem like I'm enough to the exterior? So a great example is, if I go to college, what degree am I choosing? say you're a student right now about to attend college or you're about to get a new job, are you asking yourself, is this the job title I want? Is this the career I want? Is this the company I want to work for? Or does this thought creep in your head? What will it sound like when I tell other people that this is what I'm doing or this is where I'm going or this is why I'm going there? And I'm telling you nine out of 10 times, most people go towards the latter of when they're scrolling through Google, they don't even know themselves well enough because they don't even think they're enough to choose to say fuck it I'm going to quit my job and write my book and and do these things that only I can do. Only I can do that. So I love how you kind of put that there and also talked about how the philosophers at any given moment it seemed like were fulfilling an idea that you needed in your own life and that's why I'm a big believer in reading because that just seems to like work all the time. Like no matter where you're at in your life no matter whether it's you like philosophy or you like health, whatever you're reading about just seems to hit you at that right moment. It's also another big reason that I like making content because it seems like anytime that I'm creating content, I have some new idea that just came out of nowhere, or fell in my lap. But as somebody that writes a newsletter every morning, one of the questions I get asked the most is like, how do you just like come up with these ideas? Like, Because this is how I go through the process. I literally wake up and I don't have the idea until I sit down to write. And people will ask me, how do you do that? And a lot of it is just either a book or a piece of content. Sometimes it's, I have Naval's book, uh, The Almanac of Naval Ravikant right by me. I'll literally just open a page and say, whatever page I open to, that's the topic that I'm meant to write on today. And I'll just riff off that. Or I used to do this on my main Thrive page, but I've been slacking lately is, all I was posting on stories was motivational stuff for a long time and it was because I was searching for that idea. And the first like five ideas all seemed to be like, wow, this is like what I need to write about. Or the last thing is I'll listen to motivational podcasts or something like that. They have philosopher podcasts, stoic podcasts, 10 minute like motivational stuff. So I have this process where that's my process. And the reason I'm saying this to everybody that's listening is we're talking about being enough and, me and Noah are sitting in a room right now. The only thing we've done to this room is really paint the walls green. Shout out Mike Jelly for helping us do that. We had all these ideas for this apartment and all these things that we were going to do. But I think what ended up happening was we realized what was enough, like just to, to help us get to this next phase. And in terms of my podcast, in terms of my writing – Another thing that Austin has done is allowed me to feel like my process was enough. I didn't need to, even though I'm reading Naval or Tim Ferriss or Ryan Holiday or all these people that have had an impact here in Austin, Texas, Joe Rogan, I don't need to keep up with them. Like, what My way is enough, and I want to convey that before we move into the next point, where a lot of people, I think, don't start because they feel like they're looking at these other I would call them Mount Rushmore's that they never feel like they could get to. But what I want to remind you is that like you're already on Mount Rushmore. Like You just being alive, just like Noah said, is Mount Rushmore. It is enough because that's your journey and it's your story that you get to tell. And you have your own problems, your own life that other people will never be able to take from you. And that is what's helped me.
1: A few things I want to say. Obviously, we now have a shared love of John Bellion in one of his songs, JT. The lyric is, a song a day for six years seems like light years away from today. And so it's exactly what you're talking about. Like you look at that Mount Rushmore, right? But what you don't realize is that the process underneath it and all of the things that went into building that Mount Rushmore, it's a song a day for six years, right? It's a page a day for 10 years. It's a joke a day in Jerry Seinfeld's case for 10 years. Once you identify the thing that you want to do, play that infinite game of like the, the the peak you can never reach, the mountain you always are okay scaling, for me it's writing. So I was like, okay, I identified that. So it's a song a day for six years before I'm even anywhere close to where I want to be. Like that's cool. I'm cool with that. It's a game I can play for six years. It's a game I can play for the rest of my life. And so it's going to be not only a page a day for six months to write the book, Or like whatever it was, it was originally an hour a day, every day since June 1st. And then today I like finished the second edit of it. So, but it's not just that because I plan on doing it every day for the rest of my life and I'm never going to reach that peak. And I love it. So like, that's the process for me. So that's, that's like one point I wanted to make. And then the other one goes back to what you were saying about this realization of how small you are in the universe, having this tendency to depress people what i'll say is is like there are a few there's a couple different reminders i guess depending on where you are for different stages in your life there is a time and a place to remind yourself that you are a speck of dust and it's like ashes to ashes but at the same time what is unknowable What we cannot possibly know is the influence you will have on eternity. So like you said the philosophers, right? Like you might not know who they are, but the reality is when I trace the genealogy of the ideas I hold in my mind, they all have their roots in some original thinker. And so while they might be dead physically, their idea lives on. And it has changed the trajectory and shaped the trajectory of my life. So how are actions when we're being as authentic as we are and can be to ourselves, what that unlocks for future generations, that's what Lincoln would call and George Washington would call the unborn millions. What our actions do for them to set the stage for them, it's unknowable. And so yes, you are both a speck of dust, but like the flapping wings of a butterfly, right? Like you don't know what waves that creates in the future. And so like, because that's unknowable, there's two ways to do it. Like you can, you can just be nothing and be like, oh, well, I think it's not going to matter anyway. Or you can operate on the understanding that like, what if? What if I can change the direction of this universe for good forever? Why not use that as your filter? Like Regardless of how small that chance is. Sound like me. <laughs> <laughs> so for those that have
0: never seen my hand tattoo, that's why I have the ripples on my hand. You yeah. can either leave a positive or negative ripple for eternity. When you drop something in the water, that ripple goes out in an infinite expansion. It changes the volume of whatever that liquid is. And that's how we operate here on earth. I think, I mean, as you always do with your wording, clarify what I was really trying to say, to be honest. I think more people struggle with, they think that every little action that they have is going to matter so much. Yeah. They lean into the ego side of like, I hate to bring up jobs again but it's just like you you think your job cares about you but if it's a bad quarter they're going to drop you like it's hot like yeah. if you're paid a lot like you're gone you're laid off they don't care about your family they're not going to be at your funeral like you do not matter and I think that's where my coaching and consultation leans more into that side of things because I think people overestimate the impact that they're having in the wrong areas or like how much
1: their absence would matter
0: Yes, they're absent in the areas that really matter and then present in the areas that they think that they're having an impact. Like Again, like how many mothers or fathers out there become grandfathers and grandmothers and then look back and say, wow, I wish I spent more time with my kids or at the sporting events or at these different things. And it's just like, they could have had a bigger positive ripple in those areas, but it's because they thought they were doing the right thing in this other area, which at the end of the day,
1: didn't really have your back. If I could distill it, it's like your presence in one place is your absence in another. Where is the places you're present causing you to be absent from? I think is a is a good question for people to think that's about. Because for me, right, it was that's one of the one of the reasons for this break that I'm taking this for quitting the job is I'm going to go home for a few weeks and spend time with family, which is something I told myself I was going to do for four and a half years, but it was always tomorrow it was never today. And so it's, that's the perfect example of, I was being present in this thing that was taking me where I didn't even want to go. I was building when I didn't even want to become, and it was making me absent in the things that actually mattered. Um, and so it's like that your presence in one place comes at a cost. And what's the cost? It doesn't come at nothing. It's costing you something.
0: That's exactly why I even, that we are even sitting here, because when I think about, my presence versus absence, one of the reasons that I got into content and podcasting and things like that was when I thought about my future, I didn't want to have to be tied down to be present in an area that I didn't want to be. And a great example is like I can record a podcast. I was just on two two yesterday on other shows. And let's say I have kids in the future. Well, I can be, we live in a world where I could be on that podcast or host that podcast literally from my house. I could have the studio in my house and I can operate, be so adapted to where I want to be present, where my presence is what, truly earns me the life that I want. And that's where, that takes time. And that's the other thing I want to convey is I think we have this, going back to the expectations, we have the expect, you talked about failure and I brought up expectations. Because we've won in certain areas of our life, we think that we deserve to be pros right when we start. (laughs) And that's why like you need to start today because it's gonna take five to 10 years to really get up to speed in whatever that area is. So if you're listening to this, whatever it is that you want to try or do going into 2022, take Noah's advice of experimenting with it early on, see if it's the right thing. And then once you do, realize, give yourself the grace of this is going to take time. You're not going to have abs overnight. You're not going to have a million dollar business overnight. It takes time to build the foundation and enjoy that process of building that foundation, which is one of the topics that I wanted to get into today, we're already fifty-six minutes in, so we'll we'll keep going. Hold on,
1: another John Billion quote, because you said <laughs> it takes time, right? But that's yeah, he has this lyric that's like, "I'll be a Warhol," so it's Andy Warhol, he's the artist. I'll be a Warhol with his beat pad. Let me paint and hone my craft. It just takes time. It's like that. I, that's why I love John so much, man. Is he like embedded these philosophical ideas in his songs, and that's why I always just like come back to him. He's my my person where I look to, and I'm like, ah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. He is the paragon, the the perfect example to me of somebody that is completely authentically himself, and is making the world a better place for it. So. Yeah. No, you're good. And I will not stop shouting about my love for John Bellion. It's fine. I'm yeah. gonna meet him one day.
0: <laughs> no, you're not just gonna meet him. You're gonna like interview him, or like we're gonna be hanging. We're gonna out create in our something. Sauna or something. Yeah. Speaking of the sauna, that's what I wanted to get Let's into. Go. Talking about time and expectations and everything that we've like been through up to this point, I think is is definitely helping us in the arena that we are entering now. And that's where Noah, the first day that that I met you showed up to Squatch. I had no idea that you already had a gym. I had no idea that you were a VC lawyer and interested in startups, none of that existed in my world, except for this guy who showed up to my workout and I was thankful for. But the one thing that, that truly connected us is our love for sauna ice and modalities that help people kind of become who they truly are in a recovery atmosphere. And that's where you and Louise fortunately had the brilliant idea of having a mobile sauna up in Minnesota. We brought that down to Austin and we've already had a lot of traction in a lot of different areas and we didn't have the previous experience that we've had in the world and in our life, we would be the Pinocchio of being pulled in all these different directions. So I'd love for you to speak a little bit about like what Oasis even means to you, because one of the questions I get asked by people is like this Oasis sauna thing. What are you what are you doing with this or what's the plans with this? And I'd love to just have a clip or a little bit of an audio of what it means to you because you're the one that came up with that name. I am just the spearhead to get stories out there. That's what I love to do. So you have the floor.
1: Yeah, so I'll start with explaining the name. So it, it's Oasis, but a little bit of a different or unorthodox spelling. It's it's spelled like the combination of Oasis with Abyss. So it's O-A-S-Y-S-S, Oasis. And my interest in philosophy rears its head there because it's sort of inspired by two statements, one from Marcus Aurelius and one from Nietzsche. The one from Marcus Aurelius is this idea that within you at all times, you have this place that you can go, your head, where you can visit certain ideas, few and fundamental, that can wash away the pains of the world and send you back to the problems that you have to go into. And so just extrapolated out into like physical reality, Oasis means to me is this place you come to to be renewed or restored. Because you know the fact of the matter is a lot of us, I feel like at certain points in our life, we get stuck in ruts, we feel it feels a little like a desert. Like we start to feel like we've withered a little bit, maybe our bones are feeling a little dry, whatever. it's just life can be exhausting sometimes. And so wanting to provide an oasis, a space where people can come and draw water that they can then take back out into the world and maybe give other folks. And so it's this place to be renewed and restored. But at the same time, there's this concept of the abyss that Nietzsche talks about and, and it's in his statement about if you look long enough into the abyss, the abyss will look back at you. And so it's based on this idea. It's illustrated by like when Simba looks into the pool and he sees Mufasa, what he's staring at is, is the king he could be, but he's not becoming because he's chose to play small. He's chose to sort of run away from his destiny, run away from who he could be, but something shuffles in him. He knows in his core that there's he has more to give. And so the combination of the Oasis with the Abyss to me is this recognition of like, it's a place where you come to renew and restore yourself, but it's also a place where you start to shape yourself into the person you can be, where you start to sort of establish that relationship. And then it's also not only where you can be, but it's like where the community can be. And so like by restoring yourself, renewing yourself, shaping yourself into what you can be, you are also sort of playing this role and crafting the community that you want to see the community that you want to live in and so it's like you're slowly sort of building this thing that is i'm going to keep using the analogy to light but we've talked about it being like a lighthouse of sorts where people can come and enjoy themselves but also sort of take steps to make sure that they're the happiest healthiest version of themselves because that's what the world needs it's like whether you're running a company whether you're writing a book whether you're helping Consulting people and like helping them, whether you're a doctor, whatever you are, the world needs you to be at your happiest and healthiest in order for you to do those things to your fullest capacity. Specifically, for me, another big reason was so often these ideas start as like solving a problem for yourself. So when we started the gym up in Minneapolis and the concept, the reason I even got interested in that in the first place is because I really want to be a dad one day. And as I was aging, I realized that, well, okay, there's one way to approach it, which a lot of people approach it. And what I was feeling this pushed into was just like, oh, I got to find somebody. Like I'm running out of time to find somebody. And I was like, no. What if I changed it from rushing to find somebody to prolonging my window? Like how do I focus more on longevity and health span for the long term? I want to have kids, so I want to be able to play with my kids. And it's like, how do I make sure I do that for as long as possible? Because then it doesn't matter when I find somebody. And then also outside of me, it's like I want my parents to be able to play with their grandkids. And so it's like build this thing that services sort of that need for me in terms of like longevity and taking care of myself. But then it's also like I've got my parents. My parents are doing all that stuff now too for the same reason. So it's just flipping it to that mindset and then also simultaneously with the sauna and ice bath stuff. Obviously, it has its neurological benefits in terms of preventing cognitive decline and some of the things I have in my genealogical history that is compounded with the years of football. And so it just started as this project for me of trying to solve my own problems. And then as it grew and I started to see other people's interests and how big of an impact it could have on people's lives, my passion sort of grew with it. And it's just become this thing where whether it's, whether it's fitness events, executive retreats or just like art artist retreats or any retreats of any kind, corporate events, whatever, like any, anywhere where it would make sense where we can start to get people who may have fallen out of touch with their happy and healthy habits, oftentimes because they've been sucked in to a job or something else where they're being present. It's to pull them back into this world so they can reestablish that relationship with health and happiness and peace and getting them back to the things that make us human and things that matter and sort of being present more in those areas. And so that's kind of how I think about the Oasis and what I think it stands for of of just sort of creating that space. And then also there's just a certain magic that happens in the sauna and the ice tub that can't be explained in terms of it has a way of there are community and there are conversations that happens in saunas where it's almost as if you sort of open up this direct line to the ethereal, the ether, the thing hanging above us. And that there's a there's a stream of something that sends these ideas as if out of nowhere into the sauna and the conversations you have where you're sort of like dissolving into each other and you have this very unique sense of oneness and unity that happens only in the sauna that from what I understand of psychedelics, it sounds like it's a very similar experience just on a natural level. At the end of the day, like all of these descriptions is just to say that that's the purpose of the oasis is this... This place that you can come when you need water, in the metaphorical sense, whatever that means.
0: When have you ever had a bad time in a sauna? Facts. Like, that's that's just what I think of. And when I think well, of always... Well, the only
1: time is, like, when you're in, like, a, <laughs> like, you know, like, one of those, like, public saunas where, like, you're the people... Yeah. We know I need to go into that. <laughs> we don't have to go down. <laughs> on, I mean, generally,
0: like, it's always a good time. Like, yeah, you're yeah, always yeah. going to get something from it. And you get what you need in that specific moment, going back to kind of like what you were saying with reading. Interesting that you said Simba, because the way that I think of the sauna and the way that, and I don't even think we've talked about this, but the way that I've described it to people is like, think of like Africa and the Serengeti. You have all these different animals and they all show up to the same watering hole. Like mm. that's the sauna to me because I've looked for years of how to connect people in the different spectrums of the world. like How do you get people to understand each other more? Because that's how you find peace. If we're at peace, basically happiness is peace in motion. So peace is when you're at peace and people are less stressed, less anxiety, less depressed, they're more likely to find happiness and that makes the world a better place. So a lot of that comes with just understanding the people around you and the people in your community. And the beautiful thing about Asana is like you could have a corporate exec or you could have some woo-woo person that just came from a psychedelic (laughs) retreat, right? Like both of those are different spectrums of the world, different types of people, right? But I think for the Oasis and what the mobility of it allows us to do is lower the barrier to entry to people that wouldn't normally have access to a sauna because it's not like in America, it's not like growing up, I never even heard it. There was a sauna at our YMCA, but I never heard anything about it. That was the bad
1: experience I was talking about.
0: (laughs) I mean, I used it when I was working out. The wrestlers would use it, like we yeah. would, but we didn't know. Like it wasn't like in health class. Like go do a something. Like it's not yeah. known, yeah. so you have to figure it out yourself. And I want to be that educator of making it known, and then transfer that over to my lineage and my future kids, because uh, we'll have one at our house of what the benefit of it is and how it goes above and beyond. Like for us. It's almost life changing and it's cool. Like, again, the universe works in special ways. Like, you experimented with this in Minnesota, that experimentation worked. And now the cool thing is, you have a sauna. Louise has a sauna in a Lululemon store in the Mall of America with Embrace North. And now here we're able to use it for just whatever we want at any yeah. given time for all the projects and people that we are blessed to be hanging around. And for me, it's almost like it's saving my life. In two ways, because one, again, selfishly, I love it. But then two, my wife, like one of the biggest fears has always been she is going to die of a heart attack, just like her dad did. And it's been proven, if you look at Nordic countries, that this substantially helps in reducing heart inflammation and heart attack. So if I love this thing, and I can get her to love this thing as well, introducing this new modality to recovery, also, with community, when you lower your stress, that also helps your heart. It brings a whole new light of like what this actually is capable of. And the second part of it for me is like the ice bath portion where you're getting people to challenge themselves in a way that you don't even need know you need to be challenged. That's how I kind of look at ice baths. Is, like I never even knew that I needed this in my life. I did it in college for sports, but it was a way different like environment yeah. versus now it's... I find myself if I go a week without getting in the ice it's like weird. Yeah. It's like
1: something It's a few days for me. If I go a few days I'm just like uh, I don't it's not right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's
0: something is missing. Yeah. And I find that it's because mentally like that just that 3 minute little yeah. challenge will bleed over into every other area of your life. So it's it's pretty cool where everything we talked about kind of has culminated into this one little trailer that we have, and I'm very excited to kind of share that with the world as we go into 2022.
1: Before we move on from it, too, I think the other thing, a very vital thing that it's come to represent for me is it's like, especially the last few years, it's this idea of criticizing by creating. I have my own frustrations with big pharma and the way that certain parts of, whether it's prescription pills or just certain aspects of medicine, not all, of course, but like certain aspects of anything of just I think as a humanity, we've sort of crept a little further away from being able to use and get in touch with the natural methods of our own body to heal ourselves. And so for me, it's like instead of just continuing to be dissatisfied with that, how do I actively participate in solving the problem that I'm pointing out? It's not enough to point out the problem. It's like I can't just critique it. I don't want to be just another voice critiquing something without offering a solution. And so for me, it became important to develop a solution to the problem that I saw. Um, I didn't want to just stand on the sidelines. I wanted to be a participant. And that's what Oasis represents to me is participation in solving a problem. And
0: I think that is how we are building it. And for, for people out there, if you're starting a new project or a business, a lot of the questions you're going to get is just like, so what is your plan to scale? What is your plan to make money? What is your plan to get customers? Don't be afraid to like push back on that because I mean, we've done a great job of, we have no idea where it's going. We're just going where it feels right. And I think that again, comes with everything we've talked about up to this point in this podcast of knowing that we know what we'll get if we go that opposite path of like we're charging $30 a month to have people enter our sauna versus saying like what feels right where should we utilize this thing to achieve our ultimate goal which is exactly what you just said spread education on this magical thing and we'll figure out the second half later on as it continues to shape and more people experience this and that's where I think a lot of people struggle again. They set that expectation of, I need to make money off this right away. So it's been awesome to like work with somebody that understands the way that I've, because I've done that with Thrive this entire time. And it is one of the main struggles has been working with people that don't understand that mentality. But I'd love to wrap this up here. Um, Honestly, I could keep going for another hour, but I'd rather kind of work on some of our stuff offline here. So I'll ask you, I always end with, the question, what does thriving mean to you? But since you're going to be a regular on this podcast and we're going into a new year, I'd rather ask you, what does it look like for you one year from now to say that you have thrived
1: in 2022? I'm going to draw on a concept that I sort of end my book with, that my book leads up to after kind of surveying all the various philosophies. And it hyperlinks and sort of brings in a lot of things that we've talked about on this podcast. But among the ancients, Aristotle and Plato, they, they sort of, Aristotle specifically, had this idea of the telos. The telos is this Greek word for what a thing was uniquely designed to do. And so you could judge something, like a knife is designed to cut, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and you could judge how how well a thing is that thing by how well it did the thing it was uniquely designed to do. And so the main question of philosophy became, what is the thing that human beings are uniquely designed to do? What is the human being telos? Now, I would actually abstract that a little further, and this is a conclusion I came to in my book, of instead of what is the thing that human beings generally are uniquely designed to do, Aristotle came to the conclusion that it was to exercise reason and rationality and words, to if you take it one step further and say, what is the thing specifically that I, not humans generally, that I was designed to do. That is my Telos. That is my North Star. Then it becomes very much the function of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and self-actualization is what you can be, you must be. He follows that up with this statement of like, if you deliberately plan to be less than you can be, then I warn you that you will live a terrible existence, a miserable existence. And so so for me, uh, it's this idea of now that I have, I think, identified this thing that I'm uniquely designed to do it is to continue to pour the most precious of my time and attention into that thing as much as possible at least every day at some point for forever and ever and certainly next year when I look back uh, a year from today I want to have book number 2 done and and that's just going to be a function of again <laughs> You know, a page a day for six years feel like like years away, but it's going to be a book a year from here until the rest of my life. Like that's what it's going to be. Hell yeah. And like there's going to be more in the tank, but I'm going to try to squeeze everything out that I can in obedience to this direction. There's this peakless mountain, but I'm going to make as much progress as I can. And so that's like if I can look back a year from now and, and say that I didn't allow sort of the strings of Pinocchio to reattach, then that's a success. That's what it would look like for me to say, I'm thriving and vibing, baby. <laughs> so no goes. shirts, just vibes, baby. <laughs> um, I love that, and I love the simplicity of that,
0: and I think a lot of people could learn from that where it's just like set one North Star, and then the amount of things you're going to learn just by setting that, where it's just like content, networking, speaking engagements, other pod, getting on other podcasts, that's all kind of like falls under the umbrella of what is the actual thing that you need to do. And for me, if I answer if I'm gonna answer this question as well, it's rock year three and a half of this podcast. Because in April of next year it'll be three years. So by next December, it'll be three and a half years, a little over three and a half years of having this going. And like this is my North Star of how do I make this better every single year. And that's where I lean on The listener, right now. So, if you've listened to this episode, we went an hour and 17 minutes, a little longer than I normally go. If you've gotten this far, I really, really appreciate you. And I want to help you in 2022 achieve the things that you want to achieve. I am going to be releasing a course here coming up in early 2022 revolving around starting your side hustle. And then eventually I'll be releasing more stuff on like how to actually scale your business. And I'm not just one of those guys that is here to help you make $10,000 a month, quote unquote. I'm here to help you build something for the long run just like Noah is where he can basically rely on writing his books forever because that's what he loves to do. And that's really where I sit is helping people find what they're passionate about and then monetizing that passion rather than just go getting 15 clients to make you 10K a month. Like that's not what we're here at Thrive to do. So just wanted to give you that update in my world. That's where we're heading. And if there's one thing that you can do for myself and Noah to get his story out there from this podcast, it's share this, rate and review this on Apple podcast or the least you can do is literally just tag us on Instagram. We'd love to connect with you and find out how we can uh, make this show even better
1: at this way. Underscore to the stars is my Instagram at Oasis underscore sauna for the trailer at Noah Heisman three for me. And then at CJ Finley seven. That's my Twitter. (laughs)
0: Oh, CJ Finley. <laughs> it's all good it'll be in the show notes I love y'all Thanks. until next time this is CJ Finley with the Thrive on Life podcast Thrive on y'all what's up y'all this is CJ again and on behalf of the small team here at Thrive on Life I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes our mission in life is to help people like you feel your passion and make every heartbeat count and we realize the best way to do this is together as a team So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive on Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.